When Jesus was asked by the scribes what the greatest commandment was, his response was extraordinary. And I think you'll be blown away when you hear it as well. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, if you're looking at me uh, on YouTube, you're looking and you're saying, well, did Dr. Brown shave his mustache? <laughs> no. Did he shave his head? No. Golly, he's so good looking today. Well, that might not be altogether true, but I'm Scott Volk, and I'm so blessed to be sitting in for my dear friend, Dr. Michael Brown, who currently, even as we're on the air live now, is in Australia ministering the gospel around the world. Dr. Brown's one of my heroes, and I'm so blessed and honored to be on the show today. Our lines are open. This is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Any Israel-related question, we're happy to take it. And one interesting thing that Dr. Brown does sometimes is he'll, he'll give a book away if you ask a question that he can't answer. But Dr. Brown and I are just a little bit different. Today, if you ask me a question that I can answer, the first one is going to get my new book, Jesus Was Not a Christian. I only have one to give away today, but I want to encourage you to call in. Our lines are open, and we are ready to take your call. I've got a very special guest in the studio today, Nathan Smith, who is the associate pastor of the Refuge Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina, a dear friend of mine, a Gentile believer who's come into the fullness of the revelation of even God's heart for Israel. So it blesses me to have a brother, a dear friend, and a leader in this city who is championing God's heart for Israel. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure, man. Thanks so much, Scott. Nathan, if if you could just quickly talk to us, what changed? You're you're a leader in the city. You're uh, an associate pastor of what many people call a mega church, yet you had kind of an awakening where Israel is concerned. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, Scott, I wish I could tell you some amazing, you know, theological story or some powerful spiritual encounter. The truth is, I was just ignorant. I was just ignorant, loved God, had a relationship with the Lord. But, um, you know, really had no understanding of the weight, uh, no understanding of God's heart and his desire for not only for Israel and the Jewish people, but for uh, the the church to understand their role uh, in not only knowing more, but engaging more. And so, man, I wasn't fasting. I wasn't praying. I was walking down the hall in my house. And the Lord, as as I say as clearly as I'm speaking to you, not because I heard a voice, but it was that pointed. He said, Nathan, why is it okay you know nothing about Israel and the Jewish people? Mm. That's it's exactly what happened. And I, I, I just stopped in my tracks, and I, I didn't really know how to respond. And that started me on a journey of saying, well, Lord, what does that even mean? I didn't feel, I felt confronted by God, but I didn't feel corrected. I just felt invited, you know, invited into. And so from there on, the Lord kind of showed me where he had dropped some breadcrumbs along my path, different Jewish believers I had met in the past, but didn't understand what they had to offer me in understanding the things of, of, of God's heart for Israel, the Jewish people. And it's just been a journey since then. That's been maybe seven years ago now. Amazing. Well, Nathan, I've so been blessed to see the metamorphosis in your heart and just to even watch and hear you speak. It's really, really so thrilling to me. 
Today we're going to talk about the power of the Shema. I mean, if you're writing Shema in English, it's spelled S-H-E-M-A. And that word in Hebrew means to hear and to obey. And Nathan, as as a non-Jewish believer, you'd have really no reason to have any clue what the Shema is. But since you've been awakened to the uh, to the to God's heart for Israel, you've been studying. You're even getting a degree at a university, a master's degree, which so blesses me. But can you just briefly, from your perspective, tell us what the Shema is all about? Just very, very briefly. Yeah. So the Shema is really the essence of. Uh, God's call to Israel, what their identity is uh, as a people and what they're to be about. And uh, it's really, uh, I mean, Moses is giving this to them, um, letting them know, hey, uh, this is who who you are. Who, this is who I'm calling you to be. This is yeah. what I'm calling you to do. Right. And um, so really we see it not only in the Old Testament, but of course, as I'm sure we'll talk about, it's echoed yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something, friends, about the Shema. As, as a young Jewish boy being raised in a Jewish home, every Tuesday and Thursday I would go to Hebrew school after I went to public school. It was a really long day. But one of the things that we learned in Hebrew school was the Shema. It's a prayer that many um, religious Jews prays for, pray first thing in the morning. They pray it in their prayer times. It's the last thing they pray in the evening, and many times it's actually the last prayer that a Jew will pray, sometimes even the last words that come out of a Jewish person's mouth as they are breathing their last. It's been written and documented that as Jewish people were being marched to the gas chambers, marched to their death, they were uttering the words of this prayer. Why is it so powerful? Think about this. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, I want to read to you. Mark 12, verse 28. Mark 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked them, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I'm going to read that again. Jesus answered, the foremost, the greatest, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Hebrew, it goes like this. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And, and I want you to remember the word Echad, E-C-H-A-D, Echad. That means one. And friends, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that is the most important understanding, the most important commandment, according to God's own son, that God gave. Why is it so important? What is What are the implications that this commandment and proclamation hold? And when we talk about one, we have to understand that God is one. But Nathan, when we talk about the oneness of God, that might be a little bit confusing to some people because we say that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a word that's not necessarily in the Bible. The word Trinity is something that many, many Christian believers hold on to. Can you just address this for a moment and talk about what the oneness of God means to you? 
Yeah, I think obviously this this identity passage, this I am your God, uh, we are in relationship with each other. And it's speaking of, you know, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I think it's fascinating. It says uh, our God, right? Eloheinu, our God. You know, yes. there's that relational component. And the Shema is saying, you know, God is one. There's a unity. There's a unity in himself. There's a, there's a oneness of who he is. Right. Right. God himself, and this blows me away. And friends, this is, this is a very, very important point. God is one, but he is a multifaceted one. I want to read something directly from Dr. Michael Brown's book, The Real Kosher, Jesus, from the most well-known rabbi ever, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, when he wanted to talk about the oneness of God. I want to read to you directly from Dr. Brown's book, uh, the real kosher Jesus. This is what the Rebbe said. Men, and many Jewish people thought this guy was actually the Messiah. This is what he said. Echad means one. The Shema proclaims the oneness and unity of God, which the people of Israel are charged to reveal in the world and which will be fully manifest in the era of Moshiach. But, echad the, but is Echad the ideal word to express the divine unity? Like its English equivalent, the word does not preclude the existence of other objects, as in the sequence one, two, three, nor does it preclude its object being composed of parts. We speak of one nation, one forest, one person, one tree. Despite the fact that each of those contains many units as components, and here's the point. It would seem that the word yachid, according to Schneerson, which means singular and only one more clearly expresses the perfect simplicity of God and the axiom that there is none else beside him. Hasidic teaching explains that, on the contrary, Echad represents a deeper unity than Yahid does. Yahid is a oneness that cannot tolerate plurality. If another being or element is introduced into the equation, the Yahid is no longer Yahid. In other words, Yahid means one and one alone. As soon as something else comes, there's no more Yahid. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Schneerson is saying that's not what it is. Echad, Schneerson says, on the other hand, represents the fusion of many elements into a harmonious whole. The oneness of Echad is not undermined by plurality. Indeed, it employs plurality as the ingredients and the very essence of unity. Do do you see what, what he is saying? Here's an unsaved Orthodox Jewish rabbi. In, in not professing Jesus, saying that God is not one singularly alone, but there's many facets to him. You know, when Jesus, Yeshua, said that I and the Father are one, Jewish people picked up stones to stone him because of this prayer. But maybe Jewish people don't fully understand that the oneness of God, God himself is perfect community. Three and one, Yeshua is not going to wake up one morning and knock on God the Father's door and say, Dad, we've had a good run for the last seven trillion years and I'm going to be taking my ministry elsewhere. No, the oneness of God represents God as who he is. And the greatest commandment is for Israel to hear and obey that God is one. Friends, when we have a true and ultimate revelation of the oneness of God, 
then we will understand what we're supposed to be as the body of Messiah, one body. We'll understand the mystery of marriage, two becoming one. We'll understand the mystery of Jew and Gentile coming together as one new man. On the other side of the break, we're going to investigate all that has to be said about the oneness of God. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Open your ears. Open your hearts. Ask the Lord, Father, what would you have me to do where oneness is concerned? There may be a brother or a sister that you're, that you're at odds with. The Lord wants us to be one, even as he and the Father are one. Stay tuned, because on the other side of the break, we're going to explore this more quickly. Call in. Feel free to call in. We'd love to take your calls on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Wow. I have a special, special testimony just about that song alone, Hava Nagila. We were on the Sea of Galilee last year with a group of people, many of whom not having fully understood God's heart for Israel. A bunch of Christian songs, popular Christian songs were playing uh, on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And then they started dancing the Hava Nagila. And this girl, this girl who came to me the night before saying, I don't get this whole Israel thing, comes to me weeping and saying, what was it about this song? And right there on a boat... (laughs) And it wasn't even necessarily Christian music. God touched the heart, uh, the heart of a person and opened up her, uh, her understanding for what it was that Israel meant. And friends, a trip to Israel will change you for a lifetime. And I want to encourage you, by the way, we still have room on Dr. Michael Brown's trip to Israel coming up very, very shortly. There's only a few seats left. And the reason I know that is because I just looked at the numbers and there's probably three or four seats available left on this trip. If you're interested in joining Dr. Michael Brown in Israel this year, go to askdrbrown.org and you'll just see a banner on the top of the, on the top of the screen that says experience Israel. I think it's called Holy Fire in the Holy Land. And he would love for you to join him. I'm, I'm telling you, friends, one trip to Israel will change you for a lifetime. And I'm just looking at my screen and I see one of my dearest friends in the entire world <laughs> happen to call in at this moment on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Paul Wilbur, is this really you on line one? Paul? Well, friends, I'm not hearing anything on my phone. If we can, um, if we can just check, and maybe you can let me know if he's there. Paul's in Nashville um, currently. Paul, can you hear me yet? I can hear you. Oh my gosh! Thank you for joining us, Paul. This used to be Ask Doctor Brown, but today it's actually Ask Doctor Volk. What do you think about that? Well, I have lots of questions. 
I'm not sure you're up to it, but no, um, I'm not. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, bro, I told people that Dr. Brown gives books away when they stump him on questions, and if they called with a question that I can answer, I'm actually giving free books away today. But, bro, but, bro, bro, we're talking. We're talking about an amazing issue today, and we're talking about the power of the Shema. And and you're calling in. You're a Jewish believer in in Jesus. And um, and you've sung in venues around the world. You've seen Jews and non-Jewish people alike embrace the God of Israel, Gentile Jew coming together as one, Echad. Can you yeah. talk to us for a moment about the significance of the Shema to you and to your family? Mm. Well, actually, I wear that on my—I had a ring made in Israel— uh, in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Isn't it interesting, Scott, you and I uh, traveled together as well, and the, the significance of that statement, I'm sure I haven't uh, heard the front part of the, of the show today, but that, that word Echad is taking on a whole new significance um, because I, I really believe, now you, you know what's going on in my life and what's going on in our city, our home city of Jacksonville, Florida, because the one who has called us his family, Echad, uh, showed up in Jacksonville, Florida at a service in such a dramatic way and has caused individual churches and Bible studies and Messianic communities to come together in such a dynamic way, expressing echad. You know that the word the word for one is achat. If we were counting one, two, three, achat shleim shalosh in Hebrew, but the word echad, like, uh, is is so different. There's a mul- there's a multiplication. There's a there's a, a unity in in um, in numbers in that word echad so a cluster of grapes would be eshkol echad it's yes. one cluster but it's many different grapes they're different colors they're different sizes some have two seeds they don't lord it over the one that only has one seed you know there's a there's a unity in that and that's what's happening um, in the body of messiah today in such a significant way, and the the family is coming together, uh, the the Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2, the expression of the one new man, it's very, very exciting, and I better stop there or else I'll talk the rest of the time. Well, listen, I just want to tell you how encouraging that is to hear what's going on in your city, because I believe one of my firm uh, beliefs is that there's something more ultimate than just showing up in church. I don't, I don't believe the Lord's interested as much in church attendance as he is with his sons and daughters becoming one because oneness and unity really attracts God. And uh, when when he sees, bro, when he sees people getting together as one, I think God just wants to dive in to the one party and add his blessing to it. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. How have you seen this whole unity thing 
and many different expressions of the body of Messiah coming together in Jacksonville. How has it affected what's going on in the city? If you can just talk to that for one or two minutes, that'd be really sweet. Mm. Well, for instance, you know, uh, in the past we've tried to have community prayer and praise meetings. And when you try to get people together in a city from lots of different expressions, denominations, traditions, experiences, typically, Scott, it, it, um, it, it's uncomfortable yeah. because the charismatics don't want to offend uh, the non-charismatics, the evangelicals, you know, the different positions of the rapture, no rapture, mid-trib, all this stuff, all of a sudden everybody becomes very, very aware. And yeah. in our city in Jacksonville, we had a, a community-wide prayer and praise thing just about a month ago. Um, 119 churches were represented. There was a Incredible. blend of worship teams. It went on for three hours. No one was offended. It was just kingdom stuff. And yeah. I think kingdom is really a key word here. I, I agree with you 100%, and it, it just so blesses me, bro, that you're in the middle of this, um, not as a token Jew, but seeing, you know, seeing even within your local congregation, a black pastor, a white pastor, a Jewish pastor, all ethnicities in the Messiah in one body coming together. I really believe that when we get to heaven, unlike the current Jerusalem where we have a Jewish quarter and an Arab quarter and a Muslim quarter and a Christian quarter, there's not going to be quarters or neighborhoods in heaven, my friends. There's going to be one people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. That's going to really be the ultimate echad, I would assume. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. Even even so. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, he taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, hello, yes. as it is in heaven. This is where we, somehow our earthly expressions break down because we, we don't agree yeah. on uh, what's going on in heaven. But there is something has been released, Scott, and... Dr. Brown has been with us, he's been a part of this, and uh, we have people um, moving from all over the country to be a part of this because it's like such a breath of fresh air. It's like a heavenly breeze, a ruach, the spirit, the breath of God has blown through our city, and everybody comes in, they put their egos and their logos in a basket at the at the entrance, and they they don't seem to make it into the sanctuary. Praise God! Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm really excited about an event that's coming up the weekend of March first. I'm sorry, May first, second, and third in Jacksonville, Florida, because uh, Together for Israel is going to be hosting a restoration conference in your home city. And I'm going to be there. Bob Gladstone's going to be there. Dr. Michael Brown's going to be there. And you are not only going to be leading worship at the sessions and speaking with us, but you're also going to be doing a citywide night of worship for all different churches of the city to come together and worship the King. And uh, I'm so excited that you're going to be with us for that. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a blended um, worship 
group on the platform. Uh, we'll have several races, several nations. We may even express a couple different languages just because we can. And it's we're going to have such a great time. Scott, I'm so looking forward to that weekend. Yeah, friends, if you're if you're interested in joining us, you can go to togetherforisrael.org, click on the events tab, and you'll see what's going on with uh, Paul Wilbur and with me when we're in Jacksonville together. It's really going to be a treat, Paul, to be with you. We've got about 30 seconds before I'm going to have to cut you off, Paul. Give give our listeners one thing that's most specially burning on your heart right now. Mm. I'm in Nashville. Uh, writing new songs for a new time. I believe that we have entered a new time, a new era. Acts chapter 3, verse 21 says, He, Jesus, Yeshua, must be made in heaven until the time to restore the thing. It is time to restore all things. Even so, I'm Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Paul. I love you. God bless you, friends. We'll be back on the other side of the break talking more about the importance and the potential of the Shema. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I don't know how Dr. Brown sits still in this chair on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Uh, we're getting some comments on the Facebook page while wow, Dr. Brown's lost a little bit of hair. Thank you for uh, noticing that I have no hair. I had a big old wad of hair when I was younger. When I was about 18 years old, I had a little uh, dot starting on the back of my head, and this is what I have now. But it makes it so much easier to travel because I don't have to bring shampoo or anything with me. And every day is a good hair day. Whoa, Dr. Brown, we miss you. Dr. Brown's currently in Australia ministering the gospel. And it's a privilege for me, Scott Volk, to be sitting in his chair today. In studio with me, I have my dear friend and local pastor, Nathan Smith, with me. And we're talking about the potential and the power of the Shema. When Jesus was asked by the scribes and Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? He gave the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God's oneness is important to God. It's important to Jesus, Yeshua. He said himself, I and the Father are one. And it's important because even as he is one, he wants us to be one. He says that's the revelation of that great commandment will change everything. Nathan, there's an amazing verse in John chapter 17. Why don't you tell us exactly where in John 17 it is and then go ahead and read it for us. Yeah, I'm just here in John 17. Look at verses 20 through 23. Um, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them 
that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, and that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. (laughs) That is remarkable. Father, make them one, meaning us. First, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those who would believe in him because of what the disciples preached. Father, make them one, even as you and I are one, so that the world may believe you sent me. Nathan, how do we, how do we even begin to understand the importance of the unity of the Spirit where brothers and sisters, part of the body of Messiah, are concerned? Well, the place of agreement is the place of power, Scott. I mean, when we come together in agreement, that's why God makes such a priority on unity, and that's why Jesus himself is not only quoting the Shema here in the New Testament and talking about its priority, but he's talking about the essence of unity being really how they'll know we belong to God is that we behave in such a way. I mean, the Shema itself is not just some ideological concept. It was an activator. It was, we're supposed to be doing these things to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. And that's what Jesus is saying. They're going to know we belong to God by the doing of these things, not just mental ascension, thinking about it, praying about it, but actually being about it. And that, friends, is the costly part. I mean, it's pretty stinking easy to show up in a church building on a Sunday morning, sit next to somebody you might never see again or never talk to, leave the church building, and there's no issues of oneness whatsoever because you're just showing up. But look, I've got, I've got a pinky finger right here. If I don't like my pinky finger Unless there's something seriously wrong with me mentally, there's no way on earth I'm going to cut this off because the pinky finger doesn't look like all the other fingers. That, it, it sounds crazy because it is crazy, yet God calls us his body, his body, and we're not supposed to be disjointed. We're not supposed to be separated from one another, but in fact, Ephesians 4 calls us to make every effort to preserve and to fight for and to strive for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because God is one. The greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus said, I am the Father, are one. Jesus then prays, Father, make them one so that the world will know you sent me. When I think of, of what we measure uh, great evangelism by, especially in, in, in our world today. It's, it's large meetings. It's miracles. It's the supernatural. All of those things are great. I'm not knocking any of them. But when Jesus prayed on his last night as a free man before t- taking our sins on his shoulders on the cross, one of the last prayers he prays is Father, make them one so that the world will know you sent me. He didn't pray, Father, give them large meetings. He didn't pray, Father, make them men and women who can perform miracles. It's easy to perform miracles. As a matter of fact, you can perform a miracle and not even know God. God says many are going to come that day and say, Lord, look what I've done. I've cast out demons. I've healed the sick. I've raised the dead. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Miracles aren't ultimate, friends. Church attendance isn't ultimate. Unity is ultimate, and unity is costly. Nathan? It's it's so costly, and I think 
I love that verse there in John 17 where it says that that they may be perfected in unity. There really is that ironing, iron sharpening iron when we get together. There's there's the knocking off of the rough edge of the rough edges, and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be confrontational. But really, how do I know I have the fruit of the spirit in my life, Scott, unless I'm in relationship with you yeah. to say, man, you know, hey Nathan, I want to challenge you in this area of patience because you're noticing something, or I want to challenge you in this area because in relationship I can receive that from you. No one thrives in isolation. And even though our culture especially you know, in the West, in America, specifically where we live, um, hyper-individualization, right? <laughs> Everything is about me, the way I want it, how I want it all the time. And then we wonder why we're not maturing. But the truth is, God does not. He deals, we see it in Scripture, He deals with, the, with Israel as a people, not necessarily as individuals only. And I think that's part of the call to unity in us, is to recognize we need one another in order to even be who we're called to be. Yeah. Friends, it's it's a remarkable thing, and it it's costly. It, it it will cost something to say I'm more willing to be one with my brother, or one with my wife, or one with my husband than it is to going to church and even putting in ten cents, fifteen cents, fifteen dollars, five thousand dollars in the offering. I'm just reminded, Nathan, of a verse that Jesus actually speaks on the Mount of Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, and I'm going to put it in Scott Volk uh, translation. If you show up at church on a Sunday and you're ready to present your gift at the altar, you're ready to worship, and you remember that your brother has something against you, stop what you're doing. Leave your gift at the altar. Stop worshiping. Leave the church and go make it right and then come back and then come back and present your offering. Nathan, it sounds to me like the Lord is not as much interested in how much we're putting in the plate or even our worship in church as he is interested in our relationships one with another. Well, absolutely, because again, this is what he said. This is how the world is going to see the glory of the Lord manifested through us. It's going to be in our unity. It's not that generosity and giving is not important. Of course it is. It's not that, you know, connecting in environments we can publicly and corporately worship is not important. Of course it is. But it is not near as important as the the revelation of the Lord himself that's released through brothers dwelling together in unity. It's so powerful. And I do believe that uh, there is not only, like you said, there's a cost involved, but, you know, it really it presses on our humility, can we humble ourselves, prefer our brother, right? and then by doing so, allow the Lord to be glorified through our circumstances, through our relationship. And and Scott, you being one of the most relational people I've ever known, you excel in this, and I'm so glad you're talking about it, because this is what it truly is to be about. Relationship, I mean, the Lord desiring relationship with us, wanting us to have relationship with one another. Why? So it could reveal the goodness, the mercy, the goodness of God to those around. Yeah, that's beautiful, bro, and I really, really appreciate you chiming in. I'm seeing some messages on our Facebook page about joining us in Israel and about the importance of unity. Friends, I want to encourage you. Dr. Michael Brown is going to be in Israel. There's just a few seats left on this trip, and I'm not joking. I'm not saying that to try to get you to sign up quickly. Literally, there's just a few seats left, and we're going to take them on a first-come, first-served basis. And then anybody that signs up after the trip is full will put on a, a waiting list 
And then if anybody happens to cancel, we'll make room for them. So sign up today. Go to askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. And on the page there, you'll see Holy Fire in the Holy Land. And you'll be able to join Dr. Michael Brown. It's going to be a trip of a lifetime, uh, a boat ride together on the Sea of Galilee, standing on the southern steps of the of the place where the temple was in Israel. It's going to be remarkable, friends. Click on the link for the tour. Sign up today. You won't be disappointed. It truly will be a trip of a lifetime. I'm so thankful, friends, for the fact that when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he gave the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Before we go to break, I want to encourage everyone that's listening to me today. Friends, your unity with your spouse, your unity with your children, your unity with your parents, your unity with those in the church is important to God because it's God's heart for you to be one with them, even as the Father is one with the Son. That's the demonstration that the world needs. That's the demonstration that Israel needs to see the glory of God on the people of God because they're one. You know, unity attracts God. I believe unity is one of the foremost keys to seeing revival in the earth. In Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place, in one accord, and suddenly the Spirit of God invades like a mighty rushing wind. Friend, he didn't show up for a disjointed community to experience his power. He showed up where all were together in one accord, in one place. God wants to show up today in your houses. God wants to show up in your marriage. God wants to show up in your church. God wants to show up in our nation. And he's looking for men and women who will humble themselves and seek after the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. while I play my little air guitar or ukulele or whatever that was. I don't know. But it's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire, and I'm Scott Volk. So privileged to be sitting in and and guest hosting for Dr. Michael Brown today as he is in Australia. We're talking about the power of the Shema, the power of unity. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And we've been talking about the power of unity. We've been talking about how God is attracted to unity. We've been talking about when Jesus prayed on the last night of his, as a free man, he prayed, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. The the measure of unity and the standard of unity 
is the way that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, inseparable forever, yet we break relationship so easily. God's looking for men and women who will say, God, I'm going after it no matter what the cost is. There's, and the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about striving for things. There, there's certain verses that say, cease striving and know that I am God. So God tells us to stop striving maybe in our relationship with him. We're just called to be still and watch him move. But where our relationship with others are concerned, he actually tells us to strive for unity because it's something that's valuable. It's something that's costly. It's something for which we must strive because when we see it, God is glorified. The world knows that Jesus was sent by God and God shows up. Right before the break, we quoted from Acts chapter two, where God invaded suddenly because people were all together in one place. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 130. Three. Every Jewish boy growing up memorizes this psalm. Nathan, would you just read the first verse of Psalm 133, please? Yeah, I've got it right here. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Okay, stop just right there for one second. The very first word of this psalm is behold. That word in Hebrew is hine. In other words, stop what you're doing. Stop where you're looking and look this way because there's something to behold. When Jesus Yeshua was approaching as John the baptizer was baptizing, John said, Hine, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Stop looking this way. Look that way because there's something ultimate to behold. So here in Psalm 133, the psalmist says, behold, stop what you're doing and look this way. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then Nathan, it goes on in verse 2 and verse 3 to talk about what unity is like and then what unity produces. If you just read uh, verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 133, that'd be great. Yeah, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Well, that, that's remarkable. When, when we see the words coming down, coming down, unity, friends, flows down. If there's not unity at the top, there's not going to be unity below. You show me a family where husband and wife are divided, and I will show you a disconnected family. You show me uh, a family where husbands and wives are together striving after unity and becoming one, and I'll show you a healthy family situation. You show me a church where the where the leaders are in unity together, and I'll show you a church where God is being glorified. But Nathan, it's not easy, is it? Of course not. But this is exactly why the Lord put such priority on it. And this is why there's so many places and we could exhaust the entire time of the show just pointing out scriptures that talk about the value of unity, why God puts a priority on it. And you know, I think it's fascinating too, Scott, to think about um, 
you know, even as we're talking about the Shema, you know, as we're talking about Jesus quoting it in the New Testament, there's a unity right there. Good. Right? Yes. Between the, the Hebrew scriptures yes. and the apostolic writings, right? Old Testament, New Testament. You know, sometimes I think Christians today can have a, a bit of a separation there. They think, well, I'm a New Testament believer, so I'm only here. I only read the New Testament. But this thing of unity, I mean, the first verse in the New Testament tells about Jesus's lineage, right? Son of Abraham, son of David. And so I think not only as we talk about unity uh, among brothers in the Lord, there is this unity of uh, God, you know, that oneness, echad, that we all get to draw from. We see it in the scriptures. We see it in the life of Yeshua himself, and we are supposed to see it in our everyday lives. Yeah, bro, that's an excellent, excellent point. I can't tell you how many people I see carrying around New Testaments. Now, friends, I have no problem (laughs) with the New Testament, but if that's the only place you're living, it's like living on the second floor of a house that doesn't have a first floor. It's impossible. Every house that has a second floor has a first floor because the New Testament has no relevance without the old. And we're saying old and new, but it's really the Hebrew scriptures and the writings. As my brother alluded to, the, the, the scriptures are one, old and new together. I have a friend that actually took the middle page out between the last verse of Malachi and the first verse of Matthew. And he just took that page and he ripped it right out of his Bible in front of a whole crew that he was preaching to just to signify that the Bible itself is one love letter to the world. Now, it's interesting. We just have a few minutes left, but I want to look at the fact that unity flows down and it's the only place in scripture, Psalm 133, where it says that God commands the blessing. Uh, Nathan, you and I were together on at the base of Mount Hermon. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this, but we took a little bit of a walking trail in uh, the Dan Preserve, and there were rivers that were gushing down. Do you remember anything about the source of those rivers that we walked over that formed into the one river that became the Jordan? You know, I don't I don't recall specifically about the source, but what I have vividly in my head, I've been with you a few times there, is how refreshing that entire environment is. Yeah. There's a coolness coming off the water and the sound. It really is roaring, and we're right there at the base of the mountain. Yeah. And there is something of the otherness of that place Right. Uh, that's so delightful. But you've got something in mind, Scott. I see you leaning. No, no, no. I, I, I just want, I wanted you to give the picture— uh, exactly of what it looked like, water roaring together, like this river that literally if you fell into it, yeah. you'd be swept away. But where does that river come from? It, come from? it comes from Mount Hermon, Psalm 133. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. Listen, friends, listen to this. Within the mountain is the dew from snow. Hermon's the largest mountain in all of Israel, Throughout the year, at times often snow-capped, it's where it rains. The dew from Mount Hermon slips into the mountain and bubbles up in springs that come to the surface that form three rivers on the mountain. And these three rivers converge and flow into the one river called the Jordan River. And then the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee and then south from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. And it's those waters from the dew of Mount Hermon 
that actually irrigate Zion. It's those waters that turn a barren, dead wasteland desert into a fruitful field. Today, Israel is one of the largest flower and fruit producers in the Middle East because of the dew from Mount Hermon. Their God commands the blessing. Life forever more. Nathan, before we go, I just have to thank you for joining us and, and just ask if you have any final words. Well, first of all, you know, just so privileged to be a part of it. Thank you to you and to Line of Fire, Dr. Brown. Um, you know, Scott, I'll, I'll say this. The unity piece is so essential. And, and, you know, we recognize where we are in our society right now. We recognize we're in an election year and there's all these different yes. opinions swirling on social media and everything else. And I would just say something that I'm encouraged to be reminded of is that the more I humble myself and the more I prefer my brother and look for ways to find common ground, uh, the more the Lord's glory is released in our relationships. So rather than find ways to uh, share every opinion I have on everything, my hope is that as we humbly submit ourselves to the Lord, uh, man, truly the, the unity would bring about the glory of God in our midst and people would know we're Christians by our love. That's right. And they'd see it in our relationship. That's right. Awesome, Nathan. Thank you so much. And friends, I want to encourage you. You yourselves can see Mount Hermon up close and personal with Dr. Brown himself on the Holy Fire in the Holy Land tour coming up this May. There's still only a few seats left, but if you log on to askdrbrown.org, click on the link Holy Fire in the Holy Land, you can register today. Friends, I want to encourage you with everything inside of me. If there are relationships that are not right today, do what you can to make them right. God commands the blessings where brothers dwell in unity. And if you want to see the blessing of God upfront and personal like you will Mount Hermon, all you have to do is seek unity. Strive for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, our Messiah and King. Amen.